So then, 14 minutes past eight, with trade tensions between America and China entering a new phase after China let the yuan drop to its lowest level since 2008, trading at just over seven yuan to the dollar. And with the U.S. recently labeling China a currency manipulator in response, let's break down this new aspect of their trade war with Professor Jeffrey Frankel of Capital Formation and Growth at Harvard University's Kennedy School. Previously served as a member of President Bill Clinton's Council of Economic Advisers. Thank you for joining us. Good to be with you. So just to get a bit of background here, it was for the past 11 years that China kept its currency below that symbolic 7 to 1 ratio to the dollar until last week. Why did that drop in value in the first place? Well, uh, you say in the first place, the uh, the renminbi, the, or the Chinese yuan, peaked in uh, 2014. And up until then, for the preceding 10 years, the direction of the wind, the, 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 the market uh, pressure, had been pushing it upward and they had been resisting that. The direction of the wind shifted in 2014 uh, towards depreciation for a variety of reasons, uh, but based on economic fundamentals, I would say. And although they, uh, the Chinese authorities intervened to some extent to, to, da- to dampen that, the big depreciation of the uh, UN, uh, about 13% against the dollar, came in 2015 and 16. So what happened earlier this uh, uh, month, the first week of August, which has gotten so much attention, was it's a continuation of that, of that trend. It was actually a uh, relatively small uh, move that happened on August 5th, but, uh, but, but you know, fraught with a lot of... Uh, 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 significance but it, it it was really just a continuation of of what what had happened over the last few years yeah it's a much calmer description of of where we're at compared with some of the headlines we saw then probably because of that symbolic value as as you've described but, but could we say that there's been some impact from u.s tariffs Oh yes, I would say that. I mean, uh, the, the reason for the initial uh, market pressure downward on the on the UN in 2015-16 was that the Chinese economy was slowing and monetary policy was easing at a time when the U.S. was moving the opposite direction. The U.S. Is, was growing stronger than its uh, more str- GDP was increasing more strongly than its trading partners, and uh, and the Federal Reserve was ending its period of quantitative easing and getting ready to tighten monetary policy and did start raising interest rates in 2016. But you're quite right, this most recent movement, um, and and uh, since Trump has been in office, uh, there has been uh, continued pressure upward on the dollar and downward on the UN uh, because uh, of a number of Trump policies, I would say, uh, the big budget deficit, we're now looking at uh, uh, trillion-dollar budget deficits is, is, is one point that's put upward pressure on U.S. interest rates. But by all means, uh, his uh, Trade policy uh, has um, has uh, worked towards uh, depreciating the renminbi when he puts on import barriers against Chinese imports and uh, depreciating other currencies like uh, Mexican peso and who, when, 
any any country that he puts up import uh, tariffs uh, against uh, economic theory uh, says that you would expect there to be some offset in the foreign exchange market where the, the, that current country's currency depreciates and the dollar appreciates and and certainly the the uh, further uh, boost of, of, of pressure uh, that pushed the uh, the exchange rate past the seven uh, 7.0 mark to about 7.04 uh, earlier this month. I would say that that was a, 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 a largely uh, affected by uh, Trump's announcement on on the first day of this month, on August first, to uh, put 10 percent tariffs on the uh, remaining Chinese goods that he hasn't already put tariffs on. But is China a currency manipulator, as the U.S. recently claimed? No, no, it's not. Um, and uh, I think economists would agree on this. I think any lawyer just read the language of the of the law um, would agree on it. Uh, under U.S. law, there's three uh, criteria for to determine whether a country is a currency manipulator. And uh, uh one is uh, running a big current account deficit, which China is no longer doing. Uh, uh, another is intervening systematically to push down the currency, which is not uh, what it's uh, doing. So it doesn't meet those criteria. Uh, it does meet the th- third criterion of uh, having a large bilateral uh, uh, surplus with the U.S., but um, you're supposed to have to meet more than one criterion. And I might add, that's only that's under U.S. law, uh, under uh, international agreements, uh, and under the International Monetary Fund uh, Articles of Agreement, the criteria for... Um, uh, the currency manipulation doesn't include the bilateral balance, and and most uh, it's about any economist. Most economists would say uh, the bilateral balance is not really relevant. Even if um, China could be described as a currency manipulator, let's just flip this conversation around and and, and look at how a currency war might look, and and the U.S.'s own actions uh, as it also relates to the wider trade war. Well, a phrase currency war is t- tossed around a lot, has been ever since 2010, um, and uh, it's usually mean, usually uh, used to mean each country trying to drive down its own currency. Uh, uh, a narrow definition would be the, to have the government intervening directly in the foreign exchange market to sell its own currency for foreign currency to push it down, and the authorities talking it down, saying we want it to go down. Um, and uh, a looser definition would be doing other things, just easy monetary policy to to uh, drive it uh, drive it down. Uh, the uh, G7 countries, and to some extent the G20 countries, agreed to, to not to do that um, five years ago. Uh, the uh, it's hard to tell when a country eases monetary policy, which a number of countries uh, have been doing due to weakening economies. You can't really read their mind and say, are they doing it? Uh, with the purpose of driving down the currency, or is that just a side effect? Um, the the but the the, the narrower definition, um, which, which is I think what what 
the countries uh, agreed not to do. And is a, a part of the definition of manipulation is if you intervene in the foreign uh, exchange market and talk down your currency, which which uh, President uh, Trump has. Uh, he certainly talked down the dollar. He certainly, uh, when he puts pressure on the Federal Reserve for easier monetary policy, explicitly talks about that in the context of, of, uh, of uh, international competition to drive down the currency. Um, and uh, it's it's perhaps ironic that our trading partners have, have not done that. The ones countries that he's accusing of manipulating the currency have not done that. And the Chinese in particular, I mean, the, the, I gave you the, the, the three uh, legal criteria, but the, 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 the huge fact that uh, everyone but Trump seems to uh, understand is that uh, during the most of the last five years, the Chinese have actually been working to prop up their currency. They've been intervening to uh, prevent it from depreciating uh, by spending uh, dollars and uh, buying uh, buying uh, their own currency to support it and, and, and by other means. And what happened on August 5th is they just, you know, uh, for a day, they stopped doing that. Professor Frankel, thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. And of course, in any trade skirmish, currency adjustments are seen as a natural consequence that soften the impact of tariffs, blunted growth or or central bank action. Let's discuss how it's raising political tensions and upending financial markets with Professor Richard Cooper, who does specialise in international economics, also at Harvard University. Thank you for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. So what are your thoughts on an additional Fed interest rate cut being discussed and and growing concerns of a recession. I actually spent quite a significant part of yesterday watching backwards and forwards Fox News and CNN and getting very, very different uh, flavors on the economic situation in the U.S. Well, I am not a forecaster. There are <coughs> many economists who are forecasters. I'm not one of them. But I uh, try to pay attention to the forecasts, and uh, some people foresee a recession uh, not this year but next year, uh, and some people don't. Uh, my impression is that a more majority of the professional forecasters do not see a recession coming next year, uh, but there's always a possibility of it. And, of course, uh, one way to precipitate a recession is to uh, have a tariff war which discourages investment uh, because of its uncertainties. And businesses want to invest in a relatively certain environment. And with policy changing every three months, um, uh, I have little doubt that many businesses will hesitate to invest when they otherwise would, given the strength of the American economy. Yet, of course, President Trump seems to need a, a fairly strong economic performance to boost his political position, uh, and he's the one leading that tariff war. Um, we, we also have um, a question here, though, on, on theory suggesting cutting interest rates would lower the value of a currency. Yet, since the Federal Reserve reduced its benchmark rate on July 31st, the dollar has only strengthened. Could you explain why? Well, uh, for any particular phenomenon, there are many, many possible explanations. But the standard one in this case is that uh, the uh, uncertainty surrounding 
particularly the tariff war, but also what's going in, on in Europe and in emerging markets, a slowdown. Uh, uh, people, uh, investors around the world, uh, want to put their investments in safe money. And there's no safer money than U.S. Treasury bills and bonds. And uh, so if there's a movement uh, from around the world into U.S. Treasuries, that will appreciate the dollar, other things being equal. And so that's the standard explanation. Uncertainty leads to uh, a rush for um, uh, secure currencies, and uh, that's the U.S. dollar. So it's a particularly uh, nuanced position that, that, that the U.S. is in with regard to its monetary policy and the position of the dollar. But, but um, what we could see is China try to accelerate the globalization of its currency in international trade. Is that a, a, a likelihood, a, a strong possibility well, that it could even overtake uh, the dollar? It's a stated policy. Uh, is it likely to succeed? You need to... Uh, be careful about what you mean by internationalization. They could certainly require, for example, as part of the Belt and Road Initiative, that uh, loans they make to Belt and Road countries uh, uh, be made in RMB and repayments made in RMB. And they could uh, uh, specify that much trade, uh, particularly Chinese exports, be paid for in RMB, and some people would see that as internationalization. The role of the RMB in world transactions would go up. But the a basic point, which uh, affects Chinese policymakers, I think, not economists, policymakers other than economists, is they think the U.S. Uh, influence around the world rests on uh, the internationalization of the dollar. And so many Chinese leaders aspire to an internationalization of, of the RMB. I understand that the distinction. not decided by China. That's uh, the important point. Understand. Professor Cooper, we're out of time. By third countries. Indeed it is. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us. TBS EFM. Howdy, partner. What do you all want to know about Korea? Hello there. I'd like to visit Korea this awesome. Where would you recommend I go? Korea is a mighty fine nation, and we'll be more than willing to tell you about the destinations, partner. 你好, I love Korean fashion. What's the latest fashion trend in Korea? I want to say cowboy boots and <laughs> cowboy hats, but we'll tell you all about that and more. Xin chào. I'm curious about the current peace process on the Korean peninsula after the Hanoi summit. Whoa, howdy! In English or Chinese, we got current affairs programs that'll update you on the news. <laughs> My goodness, where's Buzz? 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 You've got a friend in me. Not only for those in Korea, but all over the world. Ride the Korean wave with TBS EFM.
Good morning to you. It is 8.30, Monday, August 19th. I'm Alex Jensen. You're listening to This Morning on 101.3 FM. Now, we just heard before the break there from Professor Richard Cooper from the Department of Economics at Harvard University, the second of two guests from Harvard University on the question of the US-China trade standoff taking on its currency feature of late. And it was a very interesting point that Professor Cooper was making that we had to cut off there. But just to reiterate, uh, in case it wasn't clear, uh, the US, China, any country may like their currency to be generally the, the, the medium for international trade or the, the go-to safety currency, but it's not them who make that decision. It is indeed third parties. Um, it wouldn't be enough, for example, to have... The Chinese currency as being the, the, the go-to for the Belt and Road Initiative that China's pushing if other international standards don't also catch on. Um, but uh, certainly the Chinese still looking at the dollar with a certain level of envy, it would seem, based on that analysis. Pound 1013 for 51 per message if you've got any insights. If you're working in the financial sector and you want to have a, a say on that, if you think there's a point that's been left unsaid, you can do so anonymously. Um, feel free to get in touch. Uh, but we will, this half hour, talk about tips. This is something that affects all of us, trying to find the ideal place to live, uh, particularly an ideal apartment or room to rent in Seoul. Seoul Insa, our insiders, will be giving us some advice based on their own uh, experiences in the last few days getting out there on our behalf. Uh, so do join that conversation as well. You can also follow us and chat via Twitter at EFM this morning. This half hour is brought to you by Gmarket Global. Want to buy the hottest items you've just seen on a Korean TV show? Download Gmarket Global application and experience smart and easy international shopping right now. Your smart international shopping buddy, Gmarket Global. You shop, we ship all over the world. Just search Gmarket Global at your app store. Good morning then at 8.33. Let's find out how the traffic and weather are looking right now. Natalie Sock. Yes, repair work is underway on Gangnam Beltway, Suza direction, on the third lane between the entrance and the middle of Pungchan Tunnel. And severe delays are spotted on North Riverside Gangbyeon Highway, Kuri Bound, from north of Hengju Bridge to north of Tongjak Bridge, due to the uneven road surface between Mapo and Wanyo Bridge. And drivers are having difficulty on Dongbu Highway Songsu Junction direction from Wolgye First Bridge to Songdong Junction and Olympic Highway Kimpo direction from south of Amsa Bridge to south of Cheongdan Bridge. Also, cars are bumper to bumper on Seobu Highway Kimcheon Interchange direction from Mukdong to Kimcheon Bridge and Bukbu Highway Chungam Junction direction from Kuri Sige to Wollong Junction. Weather-wise, we're waking up to clear skies and it'll stay sunny for most of the day and grow cloudy from the evening. 
Tomorrow will also start off sunny and become extremely cloudy in the evening. And Wednesday will be overcast and rain is in the forecast for Seoul in Chun and Gyeonggi province from the afternoon until night. Meanwhile, a heatwave advisory is in force in Seoul and parts of South Gyeonggi province, and the mercury will rise above 33 degrees Celsius in some of these areas, so do take extra care to stay cool and hydrated in the heat. And heatwave advisories could be expanded to other areas, so keep up with the weather updates. Also, we have foggy conditions in parts of the inlands with visibility of less than one kilometer, so do drive safely around these areas. Temperature-wise, currently it's 24 degrees Celsius, 75 degrees Fahrenheit in Seoul, with daytime highs peaking at 34 degrees Celsius, 93 degrees Fahrenheit. That's your latest traffic and weather update this morning on TBS EFM. it's time for Seoul Insa then. Some insights from our insiders, Cedric Skysady and Elizabeth Hong. Good morning, guys. Good morning. It's good good to see your face again. I know, we missed you. (laughs) Well, thank you for being here as ever on a Monday. Um, (laughs) I I hope your last two Mondays went very well. Uh, But I'm very interested in what you've got to say today. I've gone through this routine many times. I think it's five different places I've lived in. Oh, five. All all monthly rentals. Mm -hmm. Actually, actually, I think six. But one of them was just a very short period. Uh, Mm. Plus, you can throw in a few hotel staycations mm, and pensions right. and that sort of thing. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're talking about accommodation, living in Seoul. Um, and you both must have pretty varied experiences of, of moving since you came to Korea. Yes, I do. Um, but actually, for me, I was lucky, I think, in the beginning, because I was able to move into a friend's house at first, because it could be a little bit intimidating and burdensome as far as, like, we, know, we all know about the pojunggum, the security deposit, which we're going to talk about later. Yeah. So I kind of had it easy in the beginning, just moving in and paying half of the rent with my friend. But then the second time around, my aunt was also able to help me. So I think I was lucky. It okay. wasn't as intimidating. How about you, Cedric? Yeah, I think I was lucky with my first place as well. I've had two places in under two years. I've only been here for a little over a year and a half. And uh, the first place was rent-free. No deposit or anything like that. But that's because I came as an English teacher and that's part of the deal. And so the place that I'm in now, I do actually have to pay. And so Mm -hmm. we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the first one was built into your your salary. Because sometimes you can... Mm opt out of that, right? You can just get a bit of extra money instead of having the rent-free, but it's very hard to find places with the same value. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I actually kind of took that option. It's complicated. We won't get into it. So halfway through my contract, I did get another place Mm. with that arrangement. So So, Elizabeth, before we go much further into our own experiences and how they might um, illuminate Mm -hmm. the investigations that you've both been doing, can you give us some basic terminologies that we need to know? Right. Starting with the basics. Let's pretend we just arrived in Korea mm-hmm. and we need to know 
what on earth people are going to throw at us when we try and live somewhere. <laughs> exactly. And and I want to first begin with types of property. Um, you know, I guess in America or in other places, we would just think, oh, you know, apartment rentals, right? But there's different types that a lot of people get. Usually, I think what's the easiest and what foreigners or people who first come or young people usually get are what's called one rooms or often studios. Because they're often cheaper. Right. Exactly. Price-wise. And usually they come with like full options, which we'll also talk about later. Um, also, another thing that I thought was very interesting when I first came to Korea and which where I'm living in right now is an office tell. Yeah. And that would be like a mixed residential commercial building and also usually comes with full options and um, sometimes even furnished. So it's kind of the first option that people look into. There's also villa. That's like a condo, usually four floors or less. Um, There's also apartment. And again, villas and apartments more for, I think, Korean residents or people who are staying long term. And these are a little bit more expensive. And let me get into the rental lease system in Korea that we should be aware about. And I think the first thing I mentioned this earlier is Pojungum, which is a security deposit. Um, but it's not like what we're usually used to because, you know, in the Western countries, we usually just pay like a maybe, you know, half a month rent or a couple months rent for a security deposit, a couple hundred dollars maybe. Um, but if we think about Korean Pojungum, and again, this also depends on the type of housing you're getting, the location, uh, but it can be from maybe. I think what I'm used to seeing is like 5 million won is usually well, very common. At least. On the low end, yeah. Mm-hmm. At least. I mean, that's if you're looking at the very cheapest accommodation. Or mm-hmm. maybe an exception is uh, a, a part of Seoul where more foreigners tend to reside because some right. of the landlords and realtors have adjusted to those expectations that you're referring to, mm-hmm. uh, i.e. a couple of months' rent. And, and um, places like Hebangchan and Itaewon right. areas that, that you'll sometimes... See five million, but more commonly ten million, and mm-hmm. often fifty or a hundred million. And when you see right. fifty or hundred million, mm-hmm. sometimes you can negotiate it down, but that will often mean a, a higher monthly rent. But let's speaking of monthly rent, um, mm-hmm. you, you've got a couple of main options there: the Chunsi and Walse. Tell us more about them. Yes. So if the like kind of the five million one, I guess Pujingum or security deposit I'm talking about would be for those that are more like war says, right? Relatively small amount of security deposit, and you're paying monthly, and that's kind of similar to Western style. But then this chonse is what's kind of the unique part about Korea, where it's a lump sum deposit. And that's the one that's like you have to have a key money, usually 40 to 90 percent of market value of the house. And you're putting down in full cash. So that could be really burdensome for, I guess, newcomers to Korea. But for Korean residents, it's actually a good way to save money because it's kind of like free. <laughs> I felt like it was free rent because you pay this lump sum deposit if you have that much you know, money in hand. And basically, usually the contract is about two years. Every time you renew, usually they might increase the amount. But basically, you give that deposit, you live for two years, and then at the end of the contract, you get it back. So that's kind of something very unique. Yeah, well, this sounds like free rent, of course, but <laughs> right, you're losing true. a significant amount of interest potentially if you're not sticking that in your own mm, account. Um, and, and that's, of course, why landlords do it. Uh, right. But in a low interest rate era, less landlords want to, to do the Jonse system and mm. they, they prefer Walse or perhaps a combination, which is Panjonse. Exactly. And Panjonse is half the key money. So if you do Panjonse, you're still putting in a lot of money, but that helps to lower the monthly rent. So that's another option that you can consider. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, by the way, maybe this is uh, just a, a different, more international or specifically British mindset. I don't know. But I just feel like if I had 40 to 90% of the market value, mm-hmm. I would just want to buy a place. I'd want to invest. Because not only then are you making the money work for you, but hopefully you're getting a place that's going to rise in value as well. Right. And when you move out, you can just keep climbing up that ladder. Mm-hmm. Cedric, right. I, you're, you've got a big interest in property, don't you, anyway? I, I do. I have a lot of experience, and I, I, I won't give my opinions. I don't think we have enough time. But okay. yeah, there are a lot of different <laughs> options but, but, when it comes to that. No, okay, I'm not going <laughs> to turn you into a property expert, but from a financial point of view, it makes more sense isn't it, to buy property than just to let the landlord pick up the interest on your John C? Yeah, in, in most cases, especially depending on how the economy is doing in the rental and the housing market is doing at the time, for sure. Right. I think it also has to do with some people want to save up more money to buy maybe a better house and invest in a better house. And that's why they resort to this. And then, you know, they can keep that money and then make more money. And then once they have or they feel like they have enough money, then they can start to invest in a property. So I guess it all depends right. on your situation. So John C may work short term. Uh, may work for two years or mm-hmm. four years or right. however long you're prepared to lose that interest. Um, Cedric, you've prepared a self-checklist for people who are considering moving. Yeah, I did because I know how intimidating it can be and just all the things that go into it. So I prepared a short package to give you guys who are looking for places to live here in Seoul uh, some tips on what kind of things to consider when looking for some homes. So let's take a listen. This is Cedric, your Seoul Insider, here to help you with some things to look for when apartment hunting in Seoul. As one who has recently moved into an apartment in Seoul within the last six months, I know how intimidating and complicated it can be as an expat. But have no fear, the points I'm about to share with you will help you find your next home. The first thing you want to determine is your budget. The main things to consider are these two things. The deposit, which is Pojunggum, which is required with most living situations, and the monthly rent, which is Wolse, how much you'll pay a month. The cost of your monthly rent is usually correlated with the amount of deposit you put down. For example, the higher the deposit, the lower the monthly rent. Once you figure out your budget, you should think about the type and size of home that you want. Do you want a one-room studio apartment, which is usually a small apartment that has the living, sleeping, and kitchen areas all in one room? Or do you want a two-bedroom spacious apartment overlooking the Han River on the 15th floor? Obviously, your budget and preferences will determine this. Now, let's talk about some things to consider and look for within your apartment. Many apartments here in Seoul may come fully furnished, partially furnished, or even empty. So be sure to check to see what's included in the deal. Let's say you found a place that you are considering. Here are some things that you need to ask yourself and to check out about the place. Does it include any kitchen appliances like a gas stove or microwave? As you know, it gets incredibly hot during the summer, so does it include a working AC unit? Does it have windows to bring in plenty of natural light and do they even open? Most Korean apartments these days come with an electronic door lock keypad to unlock the front door. So check to see if yours will come with one. How is the water pressure in the sink? Is the bathroom a wet bathroom? And last but certainly not least, does the toilet work? 
Before we move on, one big factor to check is if your future housing will require a monthly maintenance fee. Many places do not require their residents to pay a monthly maintenance fee, but if you live in an office tell like I do, then you will be hit with an additional fee every month, which can range from 50,000 won to 250,000 won a month. This usually includes miscellaneous building expenses, including electricity that's shared amongst all the residents of the building. So be sure to double check that. Lastly, here are a few things to consider when it comes to your neighborhood your housing is in. Does it have access to public transportation? For example, are there bus stops or subway stations nearby? Also, are there any amenities and access to shopping nearby via marts, cafes, or even medical clinics? And perhaps most importantly, is it a quiet and safe neighborhood? Hopefully, these were some helpful tips and things to consider when you're looking for your next home in Seoul. This is Cedric, your Seoul Insider, signing out. Very helpful. Thank you, Cedric. No problem. Hopefully, mm-hmm. you guys enjoyed the sound effects from I my did. house. You definitely I, have great water pressure. <laughs> I do. Yeah. <laughs> trying to work out your uh, various features in your own home. So you have all of them. All of them, yeah. Wow, very mm-hmm. good. And a working washroom as well. By the way, when you say wet bathroom, that means uh, something actually that most places I've seen in Korea have, which means you just get everything wet, not worry about the floor, like perhaps flooding, for example. Yeah, essentially. I, I haven't seen this anywhere else that I've, I've been. But yeah, you could just take a shower. And a lot of times the shower and the sink are connected and you just kind of get everything wet and it dries on its own. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I love that feature in Korea, got to say. Uh, but... You've been talking to more people, haven't you? Yeah, so we asked some expats on how easy or how difficult it was for them to find the right house here in Seoul and what steps they took for their search. So let's also take a listen to what they have to say. I've moved a lot while staying here in Korea for the past couple of years, and I used to always look for it online. And when I looked online, very often I would come across a very cheap deal, but then I would have to deal with other side effects like things that you have to fix or just poor location etc my current house that i'm staying at i for the first time went through a realtor and it was so much easier i i couldn't believe that i've been wasting my time spending all the looking on the internet because the realtor found the house that i personally have been living in for almost two years now and i love it there was the third house that they took me to see i could say the exact price range i could mention how close the subway wanted to be and some amenities that i wanted and the realtor was able to locate that house for me of course there's the small realtor fee but comparison to how convenient it was for me this time i think it was really well worth it so that has been my experience going through a realtor for me it wasn't difficult to find a new place. I looked around three to four homes before I decided on my current place. Before moving into my home right now, I lived in Yoksam area for about, I think, two years. I really didn't like that area, so I wanted to get out of Seoul. So the first thing I did was looking it up on housing app, an application that helps people find mostly one-room studios. So I didn't want to go through a realtor because I didn't want to pay the realtor fees. But eventually it, it did turn out that the room was uploaded by a realtor. So I had to pay the realtor in the end. But regardless, most of the times with most internet sites, they upload fake homes. They bait you with that and then they take you around all these places. But luckily for me, it was the actual home that I saw on the application. Yeah, it was fairly easy and I was very happy with what I found. I'm approaching my fourth year staying in this place. That's how much I like it. It's right outside of Seoul. It's a brand new apartment when I moved in. The prices was a lot lower than what I was living in Yoksam, but the house was a lot better. 
So I was very satisfied with my eventual choice. Pretty happy experiences in the end there, but some warnings laced in as well. Like, for example, the fake homes, uh, you know, actually, whether fake or not fake, uh, one thing that you'll often experience is places not being available, the ones that you saw online. Perhaps they've been snapped up already as well, if they're that good. But right. realtors can be really helpful for for showing you around mm-hmm. uh, and, and cutting off some of the hassle. Exactly, exactly. I think it's good to actually go see the places. I mean, it's, it's, you can only get so far just by looking online. You really have to just go see the area, right? There's Directly. a certain level of security mm-hmm. there as well. Mm-hmm. You're, you're new to the country, you don't right. know neighborhoods. That's true. Having a realtor with you may, offers a bit of comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think not all realtors are made equal, and that's probably a very obvious point to make. But when you go to various realtors, you kind of notice that they're all part of a similar network and they've got similar places available. But then you'll you'll find one realtor who just seems to have something a little extra to offer. Mm-hmm. It's good to keep that person's <laughs> number. They, they could be helpful in the future. Right, right. right. Yeah, so you know, when I uh, moved into my place now, I actually went through a realtor as well. But uh, as an expat who speaks a little Korean, it was a little difficult because uh, the realtor actually spoke only Korean. So I had to do everything in Korean. But to assist expats in Seoul, the Seoul city government actually runs an official list of real estate agents who can provide service in several foreign languages So it would have been good for me to know at the time, including English, Japanese, Chinese, Russian, and more. And it's called the Global Real Estate Agency List. Right. And this list was updated. They just released it last week with 30 newly added agencies. Uh, Right now, there are 247 such locations throughout Seoul. And you can find this list online. Let me give you the website. It's global dot soul dot geo dot kr and you can visit the english version of the seoul city government homepage. and these are definitely lists that you want to keep in hand and cedric you spoke one of the agents listed yeah absolutely we we were able to get an interview with uh, a realtor mr im jingi who is registered member of the global real estate agency and he covers shinchon hongdae and ide area and he's been working with a lot of foreigners he was able to provide a lot of helpful information in regards to home searching and the processes involved so let's take a listen I'm online with Im Jinggi Depyo, Mr. Dean J.K. Lim, here in Seoul. What are some common things that should be on a checklist when foreigners are looking for a new place to live? The first thing you have to check is definitely your staying period and amount of deposit money. For the rent in Korea, many places ask for longer time period of contract, more than one year, and larger deposit amount money from the expert's point of view. Many experts from other countries want to stay short term. What I meant by short term is like uh, three months and six months with a uh, lower deposit money. So you have to check if this place is uh, available for short term with low deposit first. And about your budget, uh, besides monthly rents, there are also building fee or maintenance fee to consider, as well as utilities such as electricity, water, and gas. Also, you have to check what furniture is included and not included. And if you have a pet, you have to tell them first that you have a pet, which can be a deal breaker. And lastly, you have to be aware of the penalties of breaking the contract in the middle of the contract period. What is the usual contract period for the monthly rent or worse? It depends on the areas, usually one or two years. Uh, in certain areas, such as Gangnam and, or Shincheon, Hongdae, where my office is uh, located, short-term rental, like one month, three months, are available too. When and how should I pay the deposit? In the process of the contract, you put down payment first and then you pay the balance, including the rest of the deposit, 
before you move in or at the same time of you moving in. What is the best way to prevent deposit fraud? Do not transfer full amount of money if you're suspicious. Also, find the right agent, someone who you can trust. Grass Global Real Estate Association of Seoul members are designated by Seoul City as a global agent, and they are trustworthy and experienced with expats in Korea. Do I pay cash or make a bank account transfer when it comes to paying the deposit? If it's a small amount of money, cash is okay. But if this is a large amount of money and you feel uncomfortable carrying cash with you, then definitely bank transfer is better. Also, you can keep the record of money transfer. In case of bank transfer overseas, however, you should know that uh, it can take two days up to two weeks depending on your country and your local bank situation. You have to make sure full amount of money payment before your moving date or at the same time. Also, there is exchange rate differences and remittance fee. So there is a chance for the owner to get a shorter amount of money than what you sent. And how is the commission calculated, for example, for monthly rent, one room, and for an office tell? It can be 0.3% to 0.5% of your transaction value. The transaction value is your monthly rent multiplies 100 plus deposit. For example, if your deposit is 10 million and your monthly rent is 600,000 won, then your transaction value of the place is 7 million multiplies 0.4% is 280,000 won without tax. There is a table for commission fee, and it is mandatory for it to be displayed in the realtor's office. Wonderful. Is there anything that you would like to add, Mr. Lim? Earlier, we were talking about paying in cash. And I want to say, when you're paying your rent in cash, I recommend you to make sure to get the receipts every time and hold on to them just in case. Thank you so much, Mr. Lim. Thank you. Yes, it's good to be cautious. Um, Generally speaking, this is one of the more stressful things that you can do uh, in life anyway, uh, but including as an expat when you're dealing with foreign languages, it's very helpful to have a realtor who speaks your language and, mm-hmm. and can be so useful. Uh, some of the things we heard there can be important to disclose all your information as well. Your landlord may not want you to have pets. Uh, speaking as someone who has both pets and children, I know that uh, can often be a deal breaker. Uh, what advice do you want to leave us with, Elizabeth? Well, I just wanted to add that, you know, we all are afraid of like these fake houses that we mentioned. And the Ministry of Land, Infrastructure and Transport will commission the Korea Appraisal Board to hold crackdowns, actually, on any misleading and deceptive conduct by realtors to protect consumers from any fake homes as well as false representations about property. So I think this is something that can help us feel safe as consumers looking for homes. Cedric? Cedric, a final word from you? Yeah, I would say uh, if as you're on this house hunting journey, whether you go through a realtor or the owner, just don't be afraid to ask as many questions as possible because you're going to be locked into a contract and you want to make sure you understand what's in the contract. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just shop around. Right. If I could summarize it all into two words, shop Mm -hmm. around. Use the resources, right? Don't feel like you've got to rush. It's never as rushed as they want to make you feel it is. Uh, Thank you very much, Elizabeth Hong and Cedric Skysady. Our Soul Insiders will be back tomorrow with our latest edition of This Morning at 7.05. TBS EFM. Soul Smarts, your one-stop guide to living in Seoul from TBS EFM. On this Soul Smarts, Seoul Green Transportation Zone. 
In March 2017, Seoul's government designated downtown parts within the Seoul city wall as a green transportation zone. Since July 1st, the government has also formulated and begun the trial period of its system. Restrictions on grade 5 emission vehicles is a part of it. All grade 5 emission vehicles will be prohibited from entering the green transportation zone according to this regulation. The zone includes most parts of Jungno-gu and Junggu. Grade 5 emission vehicles will be barred from entering the zone every day from 6 in the morning until 9 in the evening. If you don't know the emission grade of your car, visit emissiongrade.mecar.or.kr. Soul Smarts. Get the latest living tips on TBS EFM 101.3. Driving in rain can be very difficult. Slippery roads make it hard for you to operate your steering wheel and brakes. Also, traction between the tires and road gets lower. This leads to creating a longer braking distance. One thing you can do to prevent any accidents is to check your car. Before you drive, see if your tires' pressure and headlights are normal. Also, check if your windshield wipers work well. While driving, Keep your car distant from cars ahead of you. Also, turn on your headlights and drive slower than a regulated speed. You might experience condensation as well. To make it go away, open your car window or turn on the air conditioner. It'll clear out the condensation instantly and you'll be able to see better. Remember these simple tips and drive safely. The time is 9 a.m. 